are blessed to have our final message today by Mr. Steve Andrews entitled, There is Nothing New Under the Sun. Thanks, Ellen. Well, we are short today, but <clears throat> maybe there's a few uh, that are tuning in to us today, and welcome to the services, and uh, maybe the person today. I wanted to <clears throat> just, I don't know, sometimes my musings are kind of bizarre. My thoughts uh, turn to some, some strange things sometimes. And one of the things that recently was kind of going through my mind is, you know, there's a time when I didn't exist. And in fact, there's a time when all of us didn't exist. And then I got to thinking, well, and then it's up to our parents' prerogative and their ability, you know, to, to, to want us to come into this world and when I was born, about you know, nine months before June 21st, 1948, my parents were in Caracas, Venezuela. And so I came into this world and grew up for a couple of years in that particular environment there. Wish I'd learned a little bit of Spanish anyway. It would have been kind of nice, especially since everybody in our neighborhood has, uh, seems to be Hispanic today. But it was such an interesting thought that we physically came in to existence at one time. And yet, we all understand that there are that there is a future that the Bible talks about beyond just this life. And so consequently, one of the things that kind of all of a sudden came into my mind was this statement here. And you know who made this statement. And it was um, King Solomon. And he wrote this in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes 1, 9 through 11, it says, That which has been is that is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything which it may be said, See, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things. Now that could lead to a lot of different thoughts in a lot of different areas. But I, was, I, I always have kind of wanted to disagree with Solomon. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I got one of these, you know, and I said, well, this is new. And, and I, you know, I drive a car. I know that's new. And I live in a house. I don't, you know, it's, I, don't, I don't live on the street. I do live in a house. And it's not new, but I know that it, it was built and it came from things. And, and so I wanted to just argue with Solomon. I, come on now. Yeah, uh, there are things that are new. 
And then I began to think about something that we are kind of trapped on this earth. And we depend upon one particular thing, and that is God creating everything. (laughs) In Genesis, the first chapter, even what we eat, what we breathe, what we do, all depends on the creation. There is nothing new. We grab stuff out of the ground and we make things. But it's already been there. Maybe for a very long time. Some of these things have been in the ground maybe for maybe millions of years. Um, I'm not going to argue with those that think that it's only 7,000 years old. Um, That's not my point today. But the fact is, without the resources that we have, we would not exist. And so consequently, we find in in, in Genesis what God did to provide for mankind and how he laid it out so that we could survive. And how that we also could not only just survive, but also have kind of a luxurious life if we want. Even those of us that don't make a lot of money and have a lot of things still enjoy life. And he's made it possible. In, I'm not going to, you know, everybody knows Genesis 1-1, so I'm not going to go to there because God did create the heavens and the earth. And we know that. And we know that maybe there was a period of time in which there was chaos and God maybe had to reform it. But that's also another another story. But in verse 11, God said, Then let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit trees, and the yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself uh, on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and the uh, the herb that yields seed, according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Um, If you want to argue evolution with anybody, just go grab some seeds and start talking about how that came about. Now they do, the evolutionists do have a tree that they think came about through uh, an evolution for for seeds. But can you imagine (laughs) trying to think about how that would have ever come about with each one of these diverse seeds and how they reproduce kind after kind. And unless I'm talking about heritage ones, not the ones that, that man is kind of fooled with to, to make them supposedly better. I'm talking about the heritage seeds that will reproduce the same product time after time after time if you, re, if you take that seed. It's a miracle. It's, it's, it is a power of God in creation. You cannot get around that. It's so powerful. When you look at and, and, and delve into what he has created in, the, in just that thing, just those seeds. Now what about trees? Trees have been there all along, and what do we do? They bear fruit. They have nuts for us to eat. And we cut them down and do what? We make homes. We make boxes. We make 
furniture. We, we use trees for all kinds of things because God has created those things for us to, to use. And I think we should always uh, consider um, our uses for it. I mean, look at this, paper. Where does paper come from? Trees. Um, the, first, the first writings were from animal skins. And then they figured out how to make you know, paper uh, from trees and from, from that. So it, it's been, uh, it's kind of good that you don't have to use uh, the old animal skins and unwrap it and, and try to read it from that that we have uh, paper. So God was uh, that evening and the morning and the third day, and God let there be lights in the firmament in the heaven to divide the day from the night, and, then, and, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and for years, and let them be lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light unto the earth, and it, and it was so. Then God made two great lights, a greater light, to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and he made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give the light on the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. So, what happens every day, day in and day out, since Adam and Eve were created? <laughs> the sun comes up, in the morning, and goes down in the evening, day after day after day after day. And so when Solomon used that term, under the sun, it is almost like the sun is, he's kind of representing the sun as something that's always there, always eternal, always a, a part of our life. When we're born, the sun's there. When we die, the sun's still going to be there. They said it's not going to burn out for probably another three billion years. Well, you know, if God decides to, to change things before that, you know, that's, that's God's prerogative. But right now, that big orb out there that uh, comes up every day and shines and gives us life, because without it, we don't exist. Everybody knows that. It just is the way it is. So we are every day under the sun. Our life is under the sun. And so that's why Solomon is kind of using this term to help, help us to understand a day by day um, in our life. A couple more things here. Um, verse 20. Then God said, <clears throat> said let the waters abound with abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living uh, thing that moves uh, with which the waters abounded according to their kind. Every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters of the seas and let the birds multiply in the earth. And so the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And so what do we have? I've got two parakeets at the house. They flit around, and they're just like parakeets. And I've, had, I've, I've lost some. Yet another one, they act just like parakeets. God has created these um, individual creatures, sea creatures, fish. And, you know, Paul says 
The flesh is different from uh, birds, fish, different animals. The flesh is different. And we know that. You know, chicken is different than, than beef. <laughs> Turkeys and chickens are, are, are poultry. And so they're different <laughs> than beef. And so we understand that. And, and so God has created that, and he has given those a, a particular part in our life. And he says then in verse 20, 24, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to his kind, cattle of creeping things, beasts of the earth, and each according to his kind. And it was so. And God said, And God make the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God said that it was good. And so we understand, kind reproduces after kind. Cats and dogs don't get along very well together, and they don't breed together. But you can get all kinds of different types of dogs, and you get all kinds of different types of cats if you breed different types of cats and dogs. You know, to, not together, but you know, apart from each other, and make them um, interesting, different, uh, d- different breeds. But they are of each kind. God set kind after kind. And this also proves that God is a creator because he set that in motion. He set all of those. And so we can understand what, what God is doing because we can see his creation. And then we have one other most important and precious thing that God reveals to us after he you know, goes through and, and creates those, the, all of these things. Um, and then God says, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The originator of mankind is God. The originator of the sexes, male and female, is God. The originator of the blessings of male and female is God. He said then, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God says, See, I have given you every herb of the, uh, that yields seed, which is on, in the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields the seed to you, and it shall be for food. And also every beast of the earth, and every fir- bird of the air, and everything that creeps upon the earth, which is, you know, as green herbs for food, and it was so. And then God saw that everything that he had made, indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So God rested on the seventh day and created the Sabbath by rest, resting. And we've, we've gone through that many, many times. After all of this creation, after setting kind after kind, after creating all of the fishes, after the birds and everything that he has done, and creating the seas and all of the things. And if you 
And if you just take a few minutes in nature and just think about what is created and how, how fascinating it is. I mean, look, look, we went through, through fall. Uh, we didn't get a very good, it was like maybe one or two days when the, when the leaves were really bright. Who created that? Why do, the, why do trees change and, and, and drop their leaves? Well, the evergreens don't. I mean, they, they stay the same. Well, because they were created that way. And not only that, but we have one of the most beautiful um, painters in the whole. There's, there's no one that can paint like God. There just isn't. I mean, we try. We, and there's some very good painters. But when it comes right down to it, he is the most fascinating, most powerful painter colors and everything. When you look at when you look at the sky sometimes when it's red and um, I've, I've kind of tried to be <laughs> a little bit into painting and I'm terrible but one day there was a very interesting um, thing that was going on in the sky. There was this red up above and right below it there was just this blue and it was turning into purple. And <laughs> blue make purple, and it was so beautiful. You could see the purple there, and the sun was, you know, was just shining, just proper, so that all of that was was just, just, you know, spectacular up there. So even watching the, even watching the skies, we can actually have a a a, a real um, feeling for God's creation and how beautiful He can make things. Has made things. I mean, He continues to. Um, you know, to watch over his creation. I, I'm sure of that. And I'm sure their angels are out there doing, doing their job and making sure that the universe continues to, to, you know, to, to be sustained. Because that's one thing that God is, a sustainer of things, as well as being a designer, a creator, he's a sustainer of all things. So, now, <laughs> let's go back and let's, let's think about what, what Solomon has written. Ecclesiastes, I think, is one of those books in which you, uh, uh, how do I want to write it? Um, you get a, a, a real jolt of reality from the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, he, he doesn't mince words about what life is all about. Because we understand that. We, if you go through a trial or tribulation of any kind, and you go back and you read Ecclesiastes, and he talks about futility of futility or vanity of vanities, and how life is, uh, you come away sometimes um, wondering, wow, it's really difficult um, to realize that I have come into this world, I have been, um, I've been born into this world, and sometimes I'm going to have to have trials and tribulations. I'm going to have to, to uh, endure certain things in my life. In Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, and you're all familiar with the first part of that where it's time, uh, all of the times, but I wanted to skip over into a little bit of a different area, and that's beginning in verse 9. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in his time, also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except 
that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his, all of his labor. That's what God has set us on this earth for. I mean, I think that it's a, it's a beautiful thing to understand that God has given us so much. He has provided so much. And we live in an age in which we should be very thankful that we're not having to get out and plow the land um, and try to, to, to scratch out a living out of the land. It is the gift of God, and all those, and his labor. I know that what whatever God does, it, sh- it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing taken away from it. God does it that men should fear before Him. That which is has has already been, and what is um, to be has already been. And God requires an account of what is past. So, sometimes when Solomon says these things, it's kind of like. God already knows and is preparing and working towards um, his, his purpose always. Yes, there's a purpose now, but there's also purpose going on into the future and continuing on. That's why he says we can't, all, we can't really know what God is, has for us because he's already planning into the future and he's not revealed it to his, to his children yet. He has not revealed that. And so all we understand is what the Bible tells us. And it's glorious enough, but there's so much more that God has in store for those who are willing to live and repent and overcome and live in the way that he has showed us through the scriptures. In chapter 5, Walk prudently when you go to the house of God. Draw nigh to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth. and Let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you on the earth. Therefore let your words be few, for a dream comes through much activity and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed, better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. <laughs> Sometimes, open your foot, put your mouth, uh, open your mouth, put your foot in it, as the old saying, and that's uh, exactly what happens sometimes when we, when we say things that we, we know we should know. Nor say before the messenger of God that it is an error. Why should God be angry at your, your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity. And Solomon understood, fear God reverence and fear God and really have we should also fear God because our whole future our eternal life is in his hands so we are to also 
not just reverence him, but also to fear him. In chapter 8, beginning in verse 10, Then I saw the wicked buried, who had come and gone from the place of holiness, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This is also vanity. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And boy, that is so true. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God and who fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before, the, before God. You know, sometimes people think, oh, I've got all this time, and, and then when you get older, you realize, no, I don't have that much time. My time is, is very limited, very limited on this earth. There is a vanity which occurs on earth, and that there, is, there are just men to whom it happens according to the the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. And I said that this is also vanity. So I committed enjoyment because because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat and drink and be merry, for this will remain with him in his labors all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night, then I saw all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. There are a few things that we can never discover because God has hidden them. But there's a lot of things that we can discover. And we do know that the future is wonderful and what God is holding out for us. And um, I didn't have this one in there, but I, Ecclesiastes 9, and, and beginning of verse 2, and this is a very interesting one and, and has a lot of um, profound uh, things in it for each and every one of us. And so in verse 2, all things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean and to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. And he uses that quite a few times. I think it's like 27 times that he uses the word under the sun. And what he's talking about is all of these activities are always done under um, the auspices of what seems to be uh, in that eternal sun that's always there every day, day in and day out. And then he was just drawing this in to under, help us to understand things that happen in our own lives and things that happen to, to the lives of others around us and to all who live and die in this, you know, in this time. 
And one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead. But for him who is joined to all the living there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die. But the dead know nothing. And they have no reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, their envy have not uh, have not perished. No, and never more will they have a share in anything done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white, and let your head lack no oil. Let's turn one more in Ecclesiastes, chapter twelve. I can get there. My pages are kind of new in this book. This new Bible I've got. I might just read all of, Cle- of, of chapter 12, uh, Brian. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. And the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are not darkened and the clouds, are not, have, uh, clouds do not return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because they are, are few, and those that look through the windows grow dim, when the doors are shut and in the streets and the sound of grinding is low, when rises up at when one rises up in the sound of a bird or all the daughters of music are brought low, also they are afraid of height and, and of terrors in the way. When the almond tree bl- uh, blossoms, the grasshopper is a burden and desire fails for men, for man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about their streets. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. And so <laughs> Solomon really does bring life uh, you know, full face into your, you know, you really have to face life by reading Ecclesiastes. He does finish up quite wonderfully, though. And moreover, because the preacher says uh, was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright. Words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads coins. And the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making of many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is... uh, this is man's all, or the whole of man, as we 
might say. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it be good or be evil. So Solomon knew that there would be a day of judgment coming. But even in the words that Solomon was, was, was bringing, there was still that deep unsurety about life. You know, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Yet we have something greater in, in the New Testament and something so wonderful because our Savior has, has come and died for us and he sits at the right hand of the Father. He's our advocate. He's our high priest. And we have the Spirit. One of the things that we really understand and we have come to understand a lot deeper is the Spirit that is given. And that is one thing when we are conceived. When is the spirit in man given? In 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, and for those that um, would be interested in what Paul says about that, let me read that because it is one of the very important scriptures to help us to understand the spirit of man and the spirit of God and how they work together. We've read it many times, but sometimes in context, in understanding our own relationship to God, but also who, who we are um, when we come into this life and why we can reason and think and write and do the things that we do and create the things that we create, even though uh, nothing is new because it's always was here. We are, like God, able to create. In, in 1 Corinthians, let's begin in, in the second chapter and beginning in verse 10. Now, let's, let, me read, uh, let me read up here in verse 9. What is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him? And so this revelation about the spirit of man really opens our eyes about the difference between um, the human life versus animals. Animals actually have a, you know, a, a kind of intelligence, but it's mostly on instinct. Um, <laughs> cats have a great deal of instinct about what to do, where to go, what what kind of things, and they, they act like cats. Dogs have a different instinct, and they act like dogs. And cattle, you know, you can watch them out there. They're hungry, they're, what are they doing? They're, they're brunching on grass. They're designed that way. But we are different. God has given us the spirit of man <coughs> first to understand the things of men so that we can understand. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have, not, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit that is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in the words which men's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That is the whole important um, difference now from the 
vanity of vanity because God now is showing us through his spirit how he is working in us to bring us into his kingdom. He has opened up a lot of understanding about what he is doing and how he is working. Not everything. We don't know everything that God is doing. We only know that he has a plan for all of mankind. And there are going to be some that are not going to accept that. And we know what their fate is going to be. But we know that if we accept what God has set up for us, we have a great and wonderful future ahead. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he might instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And while we have that mind of Christ, and while we're alive, we need to use it and, and, and exercise that mind. In John, the fourth chapter, we, and we're very familiar with this little area here in which he meets this Samaritan woman. I think it's so, so very profound in how he um, talks to her and, and helps her to understand uh, <laughs> her life and, 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 and what it's all about. And you, we can learn from this ourselves, can't we? We can, by reading what Jesus says to somebody, we can kind of feel, um, okay, Jesus is talking to me too, isn't he? He's talking to me a little bit on this. So let's see what he says. So Jesus, uh, we know he came to this well. Uh, and he says, uh, sir, and, and I'm going to pick it up in, in, uh, in verse uh, 17. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to pick it up in verse 17. The woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. So he, says, uh, he, he asked her to go call her husband. She's, and Jesus said, uh, you have said well, uh, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Or should wor- uh, to worship. And then Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. When you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for the salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. And then he reveals God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. One of the things that he laid the foundation for was the diaspora. Well, because in 70 A.D., the temple was going to be completely destroyed and they were going to be scattered all over the world. And so we understand that because of the spirit that is in the, that can be given at baptism, we all can worship God through that spirit. And it says, because he is a spirit, we are to worship him in spirit and in truth. So these, Jesus gives us this plain instruction about that. My message isn't that long either today. But I want to go to Romans, the 8th chapter. 
If you want to really be encouraged and, and, and learn a lot about the Spirit, um, Romans, and just go back and read it over and over again and really take it in and think about it, because God has given, uh, gave Paul some tremendous um, insight into the Spirit and into to, to men and to everything and, and to uh, what he is doing uh, for us and through that Spirit. In verse 31, he says, What shall we say then in these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We are on this earth, and essentially we, <laughs> we are a product of this earth. Everything started with Adam and Eve down through the ages, and it continues on, just like uh, kind after kind, and continuing time. We, we continue to reproduce after the humankind, after the, essentially, uh, really after the God kind, because that's what he created us. He created us to, to be like him, eventually, in the kingdom, and be just like him in the kingdom, and be glorious like him. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of the hand of God? Who also makes intercession for us? With all those words, we should be so thankful for what God is doing. Yes, we're physical, and yes, we're stuck here on this earth, but God loves us so much. He has such a wonderful plan set out for us, and he has something in already set up and working it out and can take care of us. Who shall shepherd us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or the sword? As it's written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, this is so beautiful that Paul writes this here, and, and it's and so profound. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights nor depths, nor any other, crea nor other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when we muse about being under the sun every day, day in and day out, as our life progresses to age and then finally to, to death. Keep these words in, in, in mind, that Christ died for us. God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should have everlasting life forever and ever and ever in his kingdom.